that you yeah. okay so um Today we're sitting here with one of the founders of Nurse Next Door, John DeHart, and uh, Nurse Next Door was just named the number one top employer in British Columbia on the BC Business Top Employers list, so congratulations, John. Thank you very much. Great pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to you today. Very nice to be here. Okay, thrilled to be able to share some of your best practices with our listeners. So I'd like to um, uh, ask you a question. I heard the interview that you gave at the award ceremony, and um, one of the things you mentioned was that you hire for attitude. And this really, um, you know, touched a chord with me because I heard the same thing from Ellen de Bellay at the Four Seasons, whose culture, values-based culture based on the golden rule, treat others as you would like to treat, as you would like to be treated. And they said the same thing. They hire for attitude and train for skill. So I'd like to hear a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, about your hiring process. How did you come up with it, and why is it important for you in terms of your culture? Well, for us here at Nurse Next Door, uh, I mean, people always say it's all about the people. For us, it's actually all about our core values. And so our entire hiring process is structured around our core values. Um, when I say hire for attitude uh, versus skill, I really mean hire someone aligned around our core values. We can train and teach the skill, but you can't train and teach an alignment with our core values. Um, and to us, it's, it's, it's the golden rule. It's the most important thing to us. Um, not everybody is aligned with our core values, um, but to work here, you have to be. So everything really starts uh, based around our four core values. So I talk about um, um, values-based hiring in the book, and obviously, that's what you're talking about is the importance of hiring for your values so that then once an individual comes into your workplace, they're able to then live those values. That's right. I, I always say when you have your core values alive in your company, uh, they attract the right people and they repel the wrong people. So we're very strong with our core values because core values are like bees to honey. Mm -hmm. If you really have them living, you are going to attract like-minded people people who share your values, and they will flock to you. At the same time, if they're really strong inside of your organization, they are going to absolutely repel the wrong kind of person, and that's what we want here. Right. And once we do hire a new person, um, if for whatever reason they got through our hiring process and they weren't a fit with our values in our company, our core values are so strong here that... During their first week, they'll either run because they really won't enjoy working here, um, or they will be ejected out by the rest of the team. And it's our core values are that strong in our company, and and with core values, you if you really want to make them true uh, and be alive in your company versus some airy fairy stuff that sits on your wall, yeah, that yeah. is how strong you have to be with your core values. Absolutely, and that's when you know you have a, a powerful culture. Okay. Now, one of the things um, I also heard about or read about, I can't remember, the innovation question that's part of your interview mm -hmm. process, and this really interested me. Could you tell us a little bit about that innovation question, what it is and why it's important for you? I sure can. So, find a better way is one of our four core values. And during the interview process, we have questions tailored around discovering if that person is a core value fit. And so, we take questions for each core value and, and we put them into our interview process. Find a better way is one of our core values. So during the interview process we have a number of questions that will 
determine if this person can really find a better way, if they're truly innovative, if they can adapt to a new environment and new things because we're on a journey of continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. Things will always change here. Um, and it's so strong that if, if you're not open-minded and you don't love change, you really won't like working here. Okay. So an example of a question to find out mm -hmm. if a candidate truly can find a better way. Um, we may ask during the interview process a simple question like, how would you change this interview process to be better? <laughs> how would you do it and why would you do it? And that's just a simple example of having a person, asking a person a question to see if they're a fit with your core values. And now another interesting thing that you just told me about that I think um, all of our listeners would be interested in is the fact that you bring in multiple individuals for the initial interview. So you said there's an interviewer from who's the rep from the company, and then you bring in up to eight um, potential candidates, and they're all interviewed at the same time. So can you talk to us a little bit about the rationale behind that That's process? Right. It's actually a, it's a really fun process, but again, we're looking for culture fit. So we've really identified who is the right fit for our company, and then we structure everything around looking for recruiting and looking for and hiring that person for a culture fit. So um, an ad may go out and it will say something like, company obsessed with core values, looking for like-minded people. So right away, people get it. Mm -hmm. This company really takes their core values seriously. Uh, when they come to interview here for the first time, they're invited to a group interview. And we find a number of people will not come to a group interview. And guess what? We won't hire them. Right. Not a culture fit. Right. Right. Um, and, and so we do the group interview process. It's a way to, to see a lot of candidates. We get 200 applicants per position. So we find a lot of gems that we may not hire because of their resume. We actually end up hiring a lot of gems because of the interview process, or the, the group interview process. But it really is a way to find out if they can find a better way. So if people are open to coming to this crazy group interview thing, we at least know they're, 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 they're like-minded. Um, and then we ask a number of questions during that group interview process that you can only do in a group interview to look for other core values of our organization. Can you give us some examples? Yeah, my, my favorite one is, it's actually the very last question. Hopefully a lot of our candidates don't listen to this uh, <laughs> podcast, um, but we'll often get people to stand up at the very end and we'll say, if we could hire one other person around this table, who would we hire? And everybody has to answer that. And one of our core values is admire people. And that core value really stands out in the person when they answer that question. Great. So you've told us about two of your core values. Um, I think I, I'm wanting to hear, and I'm sure our listeners are wanting to hear, what the other, you have four core values. So maybe you could tell us sort of uh, what they are and how did you develop them? How did you come up with those values? I'll start with how we develop them. So where I find a lot of companies go wrong, they create core values. You can't create core values. You discover core values. Okay. And so if you don't have core values in your company today, you pr actually do. They're somewhere, they may be buried, but you have your core values alive in your company and your job is to discover them. Okay. And a lot of companies go wrong because they create them. I call those aspirational values. I aspire to be this. That isn't a core value. A core value is something you already live today. So what we did, we did the mission of Mars. It's a classic Jim Collins exercise, okay. right from good to great. Um, and 
you get your senior management team together, you put each member lists the five people, if you had to recreate your culture on Mars, five people you'd put in a spaceship to recreate your culture. So we did the Mission to Mars exercise. Mm -hmm. We take the five people and the traits of those five people, uh-huh. and we see where the intersecting lines are. And that, in essence, is how we created or discovered our core values. Okay. Um, so it's actually a pretty simple process, but it's really important to discover versus create. Uh, and so our four core values, and we only have four, we only have four because I really don't believe you can focus on anything more than four. Um, with core values, if you really want to bring them alive and make them part of your culture, uh, you have to focus on it. You have to talk about it every day. You have to bring them alive. If Absolutely. We had, if we had ten core values, we can never focus on ten. I think that's impossible. Uh, so our four core values are as follows. Admire people is our first core value. Wow our customers is our second. Find a better way is our third. And be passionate about making a difference is our fourth. And those four core values, they're our moral compass, right? They're our guide. And they dictate the actions of every single person in our company. Okay, now when you say a moral compass and dictate the actions, that's something that I talk a lot about in in Road to Respect because I heard very similar themes from the employers that I interviewed, but how in fact do you do that? How how do you ensure that they, they act as a moral compass? One, they're very focused. So we only have four. So I don't have to go to uh, a new employee and say we have ten rules we have 10 values. I say to them, we have four core values. These guide your actions when working in our company. Um, and when you can clearly articulate your core values and really what they mean, they should be able to answer every single question that ever comes up with an employee or with your company. So an example, yep. we all hate firing people, right? right? But in our company, Um, We attract the right, we repel the wrong, we hire slowly, so we take our time to hire, but we fire really quickly. And in our organization, if you're the top performer and you only live three out of our four core values, you'll be the first person fired. And it's a hard thing to do, and we all hate doing it, but it actually becomes really simple when you have your core values really defined in your culture. So... When we have team members fire other team members, they don't have to come to me or Ken, the leaders of this organization, to say, I, can I fire this person or I want to fire this person? All I ask is they live our core values through the firing process. And after it's done, they'll report to me that I had to let this person go. And I will only ask one question. Did you live our core values through this process? And everybody knows that is the question I'll ask them. And so my job becomes a lot easier when I start to reframe our focus through our core values. And now everybody knows when they have to make a tough decision, they know the only question I'll ask is, did we live our core values? And if we did, then I'm good with things. And it's really easy to make decisions that way. So I I always say, Walt Disney says, when your core values are clear, decisions become really easy. And it's true. 
So it's about going back to the values of evaluating whatever it is that you're doing and saying, are these practices, is this, is this initiative, this practice, this idea, is this consistent with our values? That's right. If your core values truly are your core values and they're alive inside of your company, you should be able to, you should base every single decision around your core values. Mm-hmm. Core values takes guts to live. It takes, it, it, they're hard things to live. They may make decisions easy and clear. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they're easy decisions, no. right? To really live your core values, it's a hard thing because it's going to force you to do and make decisions that you may ordinarily not make. Right. Such as fire that top performer that doesn't completely align with your core values. That's a really hard decision to make. In our company, we do it every single time and everybody knows that. So, it's not really a scary thing. Sounds scary. It's really not in our company because it's just an expectation. Everybody knows. Now, something that you just said really has piqued my interest, which is that the team can fire someone? That's right. So, you know, every team has a manager. Okay. And the manager will be accountable for hiring and firing on that team and building a team. Okay. Um, So the manager will let somebody go if that has to happen. Um, But in our culture... Because our core values are so strong in our culture, um, and I said this at the beginning of the interview, when somebody is hired and there's a core value misalignment, they will get literally kicked out by the team. Um, and, And in our culture, to call someone out on our core values, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a serious issue. And so if, if you're in our culture and you don't live our core values, somebody will call you out. And... And it, it's a serious violation when you don't live our core values in our company. That's how seriously we take them. What I talk about in, in Road to Respect is the fact that the behaviors that flow from the values become the norm. And when someone doesn't live that norm, it's just so obvious that that person becomes the glaring exception to the norm. Absolutely. They, you know, and Jim Collins, good, uh, built to last, will say this. Um, you have a great culture, or you're on your way to a great culture, when people who don't live your core values, they're ejected like a virus. Mm-hmm. Those are his exact words, and it's true. When you have a powerful core value-driven line, uh, uh, culture, your people will eject them like a virus. Okay. Yeah, and one of the, it's one of my main arguments in my book, or one of the main themes of my book, is the importance of creating a values-based, deliberately structured values-based culture. So obviously that's something that Nurse Next Door is completely in agreement with. Absolutely. I, I mean, as you can tell, I mean, we live and breathe this stuff, and it, it really is our company. Um, and, and a lot of other entrepreneurs ask me, so, well, how do I make money off this stuff? Right. And, and why should I focus on, on, on this? Is there a return on investment? Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at our company today, uh, for every position we have in our company, we get 200-plus applications. Uh, we don't spend money on recruiting. So we attract the right people. We attract people because of our core values. And they're so strong that we we don't have to advertise very much for a job. People just know who we are because of it. And what about your turnover rate? Uh, really low. I know 95% of our staff um, are out in the field. In fact, uh, in, in British Columbia alone, we probably have 1,000 staff. Across Canada, probably 2,000. Um, but in BC, I may know 50 staff members. As a leader in the company, and that may sound bad, goes against everything you've, re- you've read about in the textbook <laughs> that the leader needs to know every single person. 
in our business, it's impossible because the majority of our staff are casual-based mm-hmm. employees, and they go home to home taking care of seniors in their homes. Right. They don't come into the office. And so you can work in our company and, and really never meet me. Um, but that is where our core values really start to tie our culture together. Um, and it, it creates its challenges, but it's, it's, uh, it, it proves why core values are so powerful. Uh, last week we were the number one rated company to work for in British Columbia. Um, and that's a challenging thing when 95% of your staff you don't know and you will probably never see. But the one thing that glues us all together, that ties us all together, are our core values. We share them. We all share them. So the staff that are out, that are working in your franchise offices, their relationship is with that franchise, right. franchiser, franchisee, uh, franchise owner? Franchise partner. Franchise right. partner. Okay, Absolutely, I got yeah. it. Yeah. Right. And so then your relationship is with the franchise partner. That's right. So what do you do to ensure that those franchise partners are able then to take your culture and, and, and live it in their particular franchise, That's wherever right. it may be located? Uh, number one, they have to be a core value fit. So I've always said, you cannot teach people core values. They either live them or they don't. And it's a myth that you can coach or get someone to live your core values. Core values, you either live them or you don't. So we really, number one, look for franchise partners that are a core value fit. And, and that can make it really difficult because we have turned away some great potential franchise partners that are really good people but didn't completely align with our four core values. Didn't mean they weren't great people. But with our four core values, they didn't align with them. So we did not choose them as a a franchise partner. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Your job is pretty easy after you do that. Um, In training, we really focus on helping them build a world-class culture from the ground up. So they're building their business from the ground up, starting fresh. So we're teaching them the right way to do that. So Ken and I, when we started this company eight years ago, um, within four years we had a thousand employees uh, we didn't know this stuff when we started so we didn't design our culture our culture sort of grew up around us and we didn't have our core values defined and all of a sudden we woke up one day walked into our office we didn't like working here anymore we didn't like a lot of our people we didn't like working here we weren't happy entrepreneurs uh, and, and that's where we change and that's where we realize that we have to architect and design our culture and we have to build core values into our culture because we have to know who to attract. So we really teach our franchise partners that model. So um, going back to something you said earlier about building your values and discovering them from within. So uh, let's say, you know, we have uh, someone who's listening that is thinking, oh, you know, I'm not sure about my culture. Like you said, I don't, we don't think we like working here anymore. So for those companies that want to maybe reestablish or figure out what their values are. You described the process that you did. I mean, how? what's the best way to approach this? Is it to bring senior management to think about it? Is it to get everybody to start talking about it? I mean, how do you take, you know, where you are and then, you know, because you said you talked about an aspirational culture. Yeah. Um, to a certain extent, I think of that as visioning, and sometimes you have to start with the vision. So what sort of practical uh, suggestions would you give for companies that, think, no, we don't like our culture, we want to create a different culture, mm-hmm. how do we do it? Uh, I'd always start by, by reading any of Jim Collins' books. So, okay. Built to Last, Good to Great, 
this is what he talks about. What, what's the difference between a great company and a good company? A great company has built vision into their culture. Core purpose, why you exist, core values, how you do what you do, and the envisioned future, where are you going? Mm-hmm. That's vision. That's what Jim Collins talks about. So that's always a great starting point. Uh, I'd recommend the, the mission to Mars to discover what core values are alive and important inside of your culture today. Mm-hmm. Um, here at Nurse Next Door, a few times a year, we actually do workshops. We do okay. full-day seminars on how to build core values, how to find your core values, and then how to bring them alive in your culture. Um, so those are some easy starting points. Uh, there aren't a lot of good books on this, so I know you've just written a book. I'm about to read it, uh, <laughs> so I would suggest that's a great starting point as well. Okay. Um, because there really aren't... There are books describing what this is. There are very few books describing how to really make this come alive in your company. And that's really the what I think the important things are. Uh, and I would agree. And you earlier has said, and I had started off the interview saying that you have just been recognized as the number one employer. So you obviously you said your ability to attract is, is really phenomenal. Your turnover rate is low. But in terms of that ROI question, mm. you're growing like crazy. I was doing yeah. research, obviously, before the interview. You're expanding. You're growing. You're wanting to expand into... Uh, into the states, you have a fabulous. What's it called? Your picture board. Uh, the the painted picture board. The painted picture board, where and, and I know you can't see it if you're listening to this podcast, but it's a great thing. And one of the there's a picture of uh, the cover of Time magazine and the Fortune 100 best employers list. So that's fantastic in terms of where you want to get to. So and you are achieving phenomenal growth. So what do you think has has um, obviously there is a huge return on investment if you follow this path. That's right. So. I'll actually answer what I meant to answer before. So we have a thousand employees in the field. Average turnover in our industry is seventy percent. Mm-hmm. In our company, it's seven. Okay, so right? huge. So we make money on this stuff because our turnover is so low. In our heart quarters at corporate head office, mm-hmm. um, our voluntary turnover are, are would be probably one percent. Okay. People really don't quit our company. Um, unless they have a really good reason, right? Um, so we really don't deal with turnover issues. Uh, we are growing fast, we have 35 locations across Canada, we're, we're now expanding into the US. Um, and it, it really comes down to that vision concept where we've really built our whole culture around our core purpose, why we do what we do, our core values of course, mm-hmm. uh, and our painted picture, our envisioned future. Um, and. By really focusing on those three components, it, it's given us the stable base to create a great culture and a great company. I always say to build a great brand, and that's what we're doing here mm-hmm. in Canada. Nurse Next Door you know, will become a great brand in this country. To build a great brand, you have to brand from the inside out, okay. which means you have to focus internally. You have to build a, a really great culture. Once you build a really great culture that lives and breathes your core values, only then can you really build a great brand to the consumer. Southwest Airlines is my favorite example right. of that, where, where they've built a brand from the inside out. They live their brand. They, they, you know, they drink the, the Southwest Airlines Kool-Aid, and it shows in their service. Right. So that's really what we're doing here. We're building a brand, and we're doing it from the inside out. And, and that's, you know, that's our ROI. We will build a great brand starting on the inside first. Now, one of the uh, couple of other things I wanted to ask you about, um, you talked about your 
the fact that a lot of your uh, employees are casual, quote-unquote, what we think of. And I read about um, the mommy shift. Mm. Now, something that I blog and speak a lot about is the importance of, you know, recognition of diversity, individuality, and how we can really support the reality of the modern family, which is no longer one parent working, one parent staying at home looking at the, you know, looking for the kids, as we just heard right. in the Shriver report. So um, the mommy shift, obviously, was of great interest to me, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how that shift originated and why that's important and how that fits with your culture. Absolutely. So we realized when we find the ideal caregiver, um, our caregivers are probably 95% of our workforce. They're mm-hmm. the ones who actually go out and care for the seniors in their homes. Um, we realized a lot of them are moms. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of our caregivers are women. They're between the ages of, you know, 30 and, and 40. Um, and they need to work. But they also have to dedicate their life to their children. Mm-hmm. And so really, around admire people, how can we make this work for our employees? And as we sort of got up in age, we started eight years ago, as we hit sort of year five... You know, our employees were starting to have babies. Mm-hmm. So how can we really keep getting them some money um, and keep their, I guess, life balance of taking care of their kids intact? And and we came up with the mommy shift. We realized that we had a lot of clients. If we went back to them to say, would you be able to t- uh, to have us from nine to two instead of eight to four? And a lot of our clients would say, yeah, if, I, if you can find me the right person. So we tailored an entire shift around a mom's schedule. Okay. Right? So they work between 9 and 2. They could drop their kids off at school, pick their kids up after school. Um, they could have their Fridays off when professional D-Days came. Um, holidays. They could have holidays off. And our clients were okay with that okay. in specific situations. So that's the mommy shift. And, it, again, an example of our admire people core value. Right, and um, but you are a twenty four seven operation. Absolutely, yeah. So obviously, you need to have more than the mommy shift. We absolutely have more than the mommy shift. It's a niche part of our entire employee base. Right. So then, uh, employees can say, "Well, this kind of shift would work for me, or this would work That's for right. me." And you have the ability. Then it gives people some control and ability to, uh, you know choose something that works for them, which is a fundamentally, I would argue, respectful practice. Yeah, that's right. So another thing I wanted to talk to you about um, was your leadership practice is something I talk about a lot in the book and something I'm quite interested in is power and how power manifests in organizations. And we all know, I mean, you're the co-founder, you're the quote-unquote the leader of the company, yet one of the things you showed me when I walked in was your desk in the corner. So you haven't got a corner office, you're not ensconced anywhere. So um, how does leadership and, and power, as expressed through leadership mm. positions, how does that work and, and fit with your values? Interesting question. I, I, I think we talked a little bit about it before. The role of a leader is to bring focus to a company. One of the big big roles, bring focus to a company. And because we have four core values and we have a pretty defined purpose, making lives better in our company, my job becomes a lot easier to bring focus. My job is to make sure we're always focused on those core values, that okay. we're living our core values and we're doing and performing our business in that way, and that our people understand it. Um, I can shed a lot of power and decision-making to my people because I have one rule. Make sure it fits within our core values. You may have to fire a client. You may have to make really tough decisions. I don't always need to know 
But what I do need to know, and what I will always ask, is one question. Did you live our core values? Is it aligned with our core values? If you can define that, and it, if, it, if it's a yes, you can go and make that decision. I don't even need to know. So I think that's, I think by having, again, really articulated, clearly defined core values, um, I think, you know, power becomes less of a leadership role, right? And you can sort of transcend that power down into your culture. Okay. So I talk, and one of the elements of respectful leadership, in fact, is is empowering your employees to be able to do their job, which is what I'm hearing you say, is as long as individuals understand what the values are. So your job as a leader or the job of a leader within Nurse Next Door is to ensure that employees understand how to do their job in concert with core values. But then they're empowered to do whatever they need Mm -hmm. in order to make their job happen, which is exactly what I heard from a number of the clients that I And they may not make the right, they, they may not make the right decision. Right. It, 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 they may lose money to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if they've lived our core values, that's okay. Right. We'll coach them and train them to make the right decision next time. But if they followed our core values, it's that's okay. okay. If they didn't important. follow our core values, then that is a serious violation. Right. Right. Now, we talked a little bit about innovation, and I just wanted to maybe, um, as we wind down, just um, once individuals come into the organization, how do you ensure that that innovative spirit, that living that mm. core value of finding a new way or would find, a, find better, a better way? Find a better yeah. way. How do you ensure, because innovation and creativity are two characteristics that with the last couple of years and the recession and all that we've seen through, you know, we're, we're understanding that those are critically important for um, companies that want to thrive and survive, is to be innovative, to be creative. So how do you keep that innovation and creativity going? How do you ensure people are feeling empowered to speak up and are able to express and bring those ideas forward? Uh, well, one, it, this will be very repetitive. It Find a better way is a core value of ours. So the great thing about having a focus group set of core values, we talk about it all the time. Okay. I talk about four things incessantly inside of this company. Innovation and find a better way is one of those things. So automatically you're always hearing about innovation um, our systems are developed around innovation or find a better way so that's one simple way to always have it happening in your companies to talk about it all of the time okay um, we actually uh, um, set up a best practice behind all of our core values so okay. our core value of find a better way we have a best practice called lean it's the Toyota way um, we sent our senior team to Japan for two weeks a few years ago. Um, and now we're practitioners of lean. It really means continuous improvement. Um, so we do things like we have a continuous improvement committee. They meet every single week. Okay. Um, we have a program here at Nurse Next Door where everybody submits an idea or a suggestion on how they can improve things okay. um, and how it would work. Every single week, that committee gets together. They look through all of the ideas. Every single week, we award a winner. Um, and that winner gets flower bucks. That's our company money. Um, and so we have a whole inherent system built to make sure that we're always looking for ideas. Um, we track it. We measure it. So we know exactly how many ideas we get every single month. And not only how many ideas, but how many ideas were implemented every single month and we track it on a weekly basis Uh, and then we do something daily as well we have a a, what we call our daily huddle for seven minutes every single employee at heart quarters here at head office 
We get together for seven minutes every single day. It's a mandatory meeting. It only takes seven minutes. Part of that meeting um, is looking for missing systems. So we may, as a huddle master, I'll say, does everybody have what they, they all the tools to do their job today, or are there any bottlenecks? And someone can put up their hand, they can shout out the missing system or bottleneck, mm-hmm. um, and it means someone will act upon it that day. So we do week, daily, weekly, monthly, uh, find a better way programs, and, and it, it's just one way to really make it come alive in your culture. Okay. Um, and now if someone, um, you said earlier, if someone does something, live the values, then you'll coach them to, uh, you know, make a different decision in the next time. I think one of the things that happens in, in a lot of companies is employers are af- employees are afraid to make mistakes because they think if they make a mistake, that will be a sort of a black mark against them. Yeah. How do you sort of normalize or give yeah. people permission to make mistakes in your culture? Well, I, 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 I think it was Warren Buffett who said, I don't care if you lose me money, but I care if you lose me reputation. Okay. Right? And so... Hopefully, our core values are understood enough that as long as you make a decision around our core values, it's okay. I don't care if we lose money. In fact, if you're a company and you really want to live your core values, you're willing to take a financial loss, suffer a financial loss to live your core values. People know that in our company. People know it because the leaders of this company, myself and Ken, have suffered financial losses to live our core values, and we'll do it every single time. So everybody knows that. So they know they can make a financial mistake and possibly lose this money, but if it aligned with our core values, that's going to be okay. If it's the other way around, okay. it's not okay. So the one big no-no is doing something that's contrary to yeah. the values. Don't but mess with our core values. <laughs> it, it, it's, 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 you know, and I'll say this every time. We can have the top performer in here. If, if they don't live one of our four core values, you won't be here anymore. Now, I just want to close because um, when we met last year at the award ceremony, we had a very interesting discussion about respect and respect as a value. And you shared something with me um, before we started the interview about how you look at those sort of ethical values like integrity and respect. So how, you know, because my book, obviously, and my take is very much about the importance of respect in a culture. And everything that I'm hearing you describe demonstrates respect. Yet, respect isn't articulated in your core values. So can you talk a little bit about how you think about those kind of ethical values and how they fit in with your culture? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, If you look at the Fortune 500, uh, out of all of the companies that have core values, 51% have integrity as a core value. Enron had integrity as a core value. Um, So I look at integrity and respect. I call them get-in-the-game core values. As a company... If you're hiring someone that doesn't have integrity, you know, give them a pink slip. Don't give them your core value statements. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a get in the game base level. No one really should be hiring anyone without integrity or, or really respect, right? Mm-hmm. And and so that's why I call them a get in the game core value. Really, it doesn't matter what your core values are. If you're living your core values, that's integrity. Mm-hmm. That's respect. I agree. We don't have to say respect is our core value or integrity is our core value. The fact that we live them, that's integrity and that's respect. So that's really what I think about integrity and respect. What I would say, if a company does have integrity or respect as a core value, you better be doing something so uniquely different 
than every other company in North America that has those same core values, right? And so it's okay to have those as core values, but you better do something really phenomenally unique to live them. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they get lost because respect and integrity can be very big, mm -hmm. misunderstood Absolutely. words and no. concepts. And, and one of the big problems, and you mentioned this before, is they can often be um, paper values, which appear on a statement or on the wall, which is sort of the first chapter of the book. That's right. <laughs> it's not about having a paper strategy. So, yeah. great. Thank you so much. So, if anyone is interested in um, finding out more about Nurse Next Door, wants to contact you, what's the best thing for them to do? Best way to go to our website, www.nursenextdoor.com. Um, you can go to our website. Everything's on there. Um, if you want to attend one of our workshops, we don't advertise them on the website. Um, you can probably email me directly, uh, John DeHart, J-O-H-N-D-E-H-A-R-T, at nursenextdoor.com. Okay, and I think that, and another thing that you have that people might be interested in is I read about you have tours of your facility. We do. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it turns out because we take our culture so seriously and we do some pretty cool things here. Um, a lot of people want to come and tour and, and see our operations and learn. And I mean, we're a learning company. We're happy to share pretty much anything we know with other people. That is how we learned everything. So we do tours here. Uh, I think we're actually going to standardize our tours. We're getting so many people in that. I believe we're doing tours at 10 o'clock every Wednesday morning now. Okay. But if you want a tour, uh, just go to our website and, and contact one of us, and, and we're happy to have you for a tour. Okay, it would be great. And yeah. if you come for a tour, you'll see that fantastic picture board because that in itself is, I think I need to make one for my office. It was great. Anyway, thank you so much, John. Really appreciate the time you've taken today. I know that this has been a fascinating interview for me, and I'm sure all of our listeners will benefit greatly. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.